1: Hey guys, wow, we're looking at the calendar already halfway through the month. Hoping everyone out there is having a great start to the year 2020. A lot of people out there already talking about how 2020 is the year of visual acuity, of focusing on yourself and not just be like every other year, really evolve as a person. So starting off this podcast with some minor announcements, I want to uh, speak to a lot of people through the podcast, through Game School Online, from time to time have reached out to me personally, asking for some career coaching, either through schooling, either uh, recently a lot of professionals wanting to move up the, the social ladder at work. Um, talking about going to freelancing or creating their own business. So, uh, I'm kind of announcing now that I'm opening up orientation. So, this is a 15-minute orientation to talk about how I can be helpful to you in career coaching. So, if you go over to patreon.com forward slash blue champs, I am opening up some spots, very limited as my schedule is getting pretty busy these days, to kind of help you through your journey. Um, Whether you are trying to get some ideas on what to do next within your career, some advice when it comes to marketing or uh, business strategies. I'm dedicating time aside to help you through that but before I ask you to spend any money I highly encourage you guys to kind of send me a message through info at gamedevuncheen.com and let me know if, how we can set up an appointment so I can talk to you personally of how it can be helpful Aside from that, what I'm going to do from time to time, just to kind of change the format a bit, there's a lot of cool emails, messages that you guys would send talking about uh, just how the podcasts have helped you through your journey of becoming and winning at game development. So I'm going to start reading some of these on the air because I feel like a lot of these topics kind of cover... Everyone's concerned. I think everybody can find these relatable. And uh, I think by me answering them to you guys through the podcast, uh, it can help a lot of people as well who have the same questions. So this is from Russell. I'm going to give you some anonymity. Anonymity. I always have a problem saying that. So the subject is a fork in the road. So it says, uh, hello, I'm just recently found your podcast, went all the way back to the first episode in 2015 in search of advice about where to start. Thank you for that. That's pretty, uh, it's always pretty crazy to kind of hear people starting from the first episode and working their way up. I haven't even done that. Uh, So I I thank you for the support. So uh, going back to the letter, I'm 18 years old, currently enrolled in my second semester semester at uh, a community college with plans to transfer to a university to study kinetic imaging, which is their name for animation. However, based on some of my own research, the words of a handful of game developers and trends that I've seen throughout history, I began to reconsider if the college route is the best route for me. In your first episode, you both, Larry and I, mentioned things about not wanting to spend so much time on your education, and it felt like my perspective was finally given a bit of actual validation. I actually spoke with a woman named uh, Kim in my previous semester. She had previously worked for a studio. I'm leaving some of these details out. I don't want to like oust anybody. Uh, Doing character animations for the upcoming uh, game, which I'm obsessed with, both the game and the studio. I asked her how she got to where she was at, asked her for some advice regarding my own situation. In her response, she mentioned that the degree she obtained in film, if I remember it correctly, was practically useless to her. But the experience of college had a positive impact on her life and career. She went on to provide links to programs like Blender, Autodesk Maya, Unity, and Unreal, as well as other simple links to online sessions like the ones you talked about in your first episode that would teach people how to create animations and games. Overall, I got the impression she was trying to inform me of an alternative to college. And since then, I've been thinking a lot about it. In my current situation, I've lived almost an hour away from the college I attend, the same distance from my potential employers, and I've begun to think that the distance at which I live is making it difficult to get a job. My earn, my family earns too much to receive aid from FAFSA, but too little to pay for college and out of pocket. I'm constantly told to apply for scholarships. You're sure to get some grades as good as yours, but I've yet to find where I can get these scholarships from. In order to get into the college I plan to transfer to i need to present a portfolio of 12 to 16 pieces of art then attend a year-long art foundation program before even getting into classes for kinetic imaging what's worse if i don't get accepted into vcu the nearest colleges that offer any video game based curriculum cost twice as much or more i would love to move in order to attend them between being a full-time student trying to find and keep a job and having to keep up with the portfolio i've begun to feel like my passions are being suffocated under an unreasonable heavy load. So I began to think, why not drop out of college? Why not get a full-time job save up to take these online classes to learn how to make games? I'll be done with the classes years before graduating for VCU with little, if any debt, and I'll be able to devote so much more time toward things I'm passionate about. Everyone I've spoken to and described, my idea to seems adamant that I'll continue on the college path, but the thing is, I'm more confident in my ability to become a great animator in my own time than I am in my ability to keep up with all these things in the university's time. I've begun to wonder why I've been told to take the road less traveled my entire life when now I've thought of to follow it. It suddenly leads to failure. Bill Gates sat in on classes to learn what he needed to learn. No degree, no prereqs, and he literally revolutionized an entire industry. I'm no Bill Gates, but I'm not a failure either. I understand the certainty of a degree that understand the benefits of the college experience the network and all those other things around it just feels like I'm suffocating under stress. And all I can see at the end of it is a slip of paper and a lot of debt if I can reach the end. So as the subject suggests, I'm at a fork in the road, stay in college, earn a degree, find some potential networking, but incur loads of debts, struggle through a suffocating workload and potentially risk my entire career on a single assessment of my potential. Or drop out, avoid loads of debts, learn on my own time, do what I'm passionate about, but no safety net and no networking. I'm inclined to believe that if I can provide my passion with my skills, a degree shouldn't matter. But in reality, I have no clue what's in store for me. Any bit of advice or guidance would help will leave me ecstatic. I just feel very confused and uncertain where to go right now. But whatever conclusion I come to, I want to be certain that it's right and follow through it. Thank you for taking the time to read this. Well, thank you, Russell, for reaching out. Uh, as an 18 year old man, talking like this, thinking about the future in this way, you're already roads ahead of uh, your peers, in my opinion. And, and like even my 18 year old self wasn't this informed about the college experience, especially, especially in the um, vocational school training, uh, game art in this case. Uh, I've talked to this at length before. Your intuition is correct. There are uh, Our industry has an advantage for not requiring degrees. And I feel like uh, the developer who are self-driven and walk down that path of self-education actually has a longer shelf life to be able to adapt and evolve as a developer. Uh, because if you go the second route of not going through college, just getting a job, not incurring debt, and kind of learning through online courses and self-education, I think it better prepares you and uh, tests you how much you want it. Because you can imagine after a full-time gig, coming home, and then, spending time in this potentially a hobby and, you know, but at least a cheaper hobby than going to college, uh, really stress tests your motivation. And that is the key factor of getting into the industry and staying in the industry. So, uh, for followers or listeners that actually subscribe to the, uh, The school that I run, Game School Online, youtube.com forward slash Game School Online. I do a video podcast series on uh, interviewing developers, artists that uh, kind of break down their techniques. But lately I've been kind of reaching out to Eastern European artists. So this is... Uh, We're talking about Russia, Ukraine, that part of the continent, right? Which has been very interesting to me because these developers, uh, in which I found them through ArtStation or other art communities, have shown tremendous talent by self-education. So, it only shows that um, where, you know, they don't even have the resources or the choice to go to a college or university nearby because it just is non-existent. Family and friends don't even understand the nature of game dev education. They don't know. It's – it's that part of the world is completely 10 years behind what the game industry is about, right? So – These artists, developers uh, essentially have to really push themselves to kind of be motivated and stay relative to uh, an ever-growing industry by pushing themselves. And they tend to succeed a lot better, I feel, than uh, their counterparts. Because not only do they have to be good, uh, we were talking to, uh, I was talking to Lisa Lusiva, she was sharing me, and this is something I didn't know. Like the visa part of it uh, does require like a degree education, but the job place doesn't in the states, for example, right? But because the government um, only wants the best of the best, and why that person in particular that's applying for the visa is the uh, the only candidate possible for this company to kind of even sponsor them. Uh, college degree is the standard so if you are unfortunately um, immigrating from a different country in the western countries for game development there is a requirement there that you have to have a formal education and go to college degree but within the states uh, that is not necessary but that hardship and that willingness to kind of push through or push, uh, climb over those walls is the type of grind that this industry needs for developers to kind of go through, uh, to survive and everything. So I'm talking to someone, uh from the States. I know we have a lot of international listeners. So, if this person is from the United States and has this option, this, this luxury of an option. And I say to you, Russell, take full advantage of that. Um, if you have the perseverance and it sounds like you're a bright young man and are already thinking like this, and well, you found Game Dev Unchained. So, you're already light years ahead. You should definitely consider online resources, alternatives to kind of focus your education. These accredited schools, you actually have to take a lot of fluff, a lot of courses and classes that uh, have no relation into your focus, right, into your career. So you're wasting a lot of money, a lot of time, actually. The networking, again, is is monumental sure. I mean, I, I still look fondly back on my vocational school training and made so much so many friends from that that I have no choice but to accept that that is the the benefit, right? But really, if I had the education that I have now in terms of how to get training from awesome mentors and and have the resources to understand how to piece together my own education. I would. Yeah. If I, if I knew what I knew, but I don't, <laughs> not at least back then. So, uh, yeah, take full advantage, man. If you have that option and if you have the luxury to kind of even take that option, it's much better for you to do it that way and, and come out of it either super passionate still about game development or not at all. Finding yourself rather spending your extra time after work doing something else. At least you won't be over 100K in debt. Right? You, you'll have a better start in your adult life by not having all that baggage. So, yeah, thank you again for writing in. Uh, anybody else? uh you know, I love reading these. I I do get them a lot on occasion, but I'm going to start reading these uh, before an episode. I think it'd be very helpful to kind of share the questions and answers um, that I feel like a lot of people can relate to. Uh, Coincidentally, this is Our next goal on the Patreon thing, I'm kind of trying to get like a a voice recorder on the website so that not only am I going to be reading these letters, which is fine. I would love to have a call in for listeners, Uh, not just for me to answer, but at the end of each episode, I would like to have our guests kind of chime in with their helpful advice uh, and then play your voice on the air. So this is our next immediate goal. We're pretty close, actually. So if you want to give any support and uh, help me reach this goal for the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash blue And uh, in addition, get the life unchained. I know there's a lot of questions about uh, where's Larry at. <laughs> I mean, that's unavoidable. Not ready to kind of share things publicly yet kind of waiting for the right timing for that but a lot of these uh answers are through uh the patreon support through the exclusive life unchained episodes so feel free to go over there and check it out all right uh so this episode is a gdux.me talk that happened in uh june of last year 2019 A returning favorite, Richard Lico, talking about his turbulent roller coaster career and how it has been helpful for him to kind of stay on his toes and leverage everything.
0: Lico is definitely
2: here. He's been a part of our podcast. So I love having you back. You've done roundtables, you've done the podcast with us. And who else would we want to bring to our first GDUX expo other than yourself? Your royalty around these parts, if you ask me. So thank you very much for you your guys time. Are all, thanks for having me here.
1: Well, it's uh we're actually starting on time right now. So whenever you're ready, Richard, the the the, the
0: landscape is yours. yeah all right, can you guys hear me all right? Because I can't hear myself. So we're good though, right? We can hear you perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right, cool. So uh so I want to take a moment today to talk about um um the communication loop with uh our players when we make games. Um but to ooh, let me click on this screen and then when I press my spacebar it actually works. All right, so uh who am I? Um well um Brandon and Larry did a fine job introducing me. Um, thanks guys. Um, I'm animation director at polyarc games. Uh, I've been animating for just shy of 20 years in games now, um, contributed to 13 games, uh, plus DLCs and whatnot. Um, and been having a lot of fun in this industry. Um, I never thought I'd see the day where I got to be the old man, but I think I'm getting there sooner than I had planned. Um, and I get to work on all these cool games here. So uh, um, let's see. I just got to move this real quick. Okay. So building a better communication loop by connecting with players over shared life experiences. It's it's the title of this. And it's, it's a long title and quite a mouthful. It's kind of like a Brian Adams song from the 90s. Um, but it's a topic I think a lot about. Um, well, as, as game developers, I'm sure we're not alone. Um, we all do. But. Events in my life over the last few years have really forced me to to focus on this topic and see things from a different perspective. Uh, Primarily, having the opportunity to create VR characters who do more than respond to the traditional button inputs have brought this topic to a forefront for me. And I wanted to share some of the thoughts I've had. Um, Perhaps if I'm lucky, maybe even inspire some people along the way. Uh, That's why we're here, right? So uh, this is about us, the developers. our relationship with our players. Um, So traditional entertainment, um, mediums such as film, books, music, illustrations, they're, they're a passive media, they're a passive entertainment, meaning the user's interactions aren't necessary to enjoy the entertainment itself. This means that us game developers, we need to see things a little differently. When a player presses the A button on a Famicom controller here, there's an opportunity for us. Not only are we communicating our designs, our, our intentions, our, our, our stories, our, our creations, players are communicating back to us. They're giving us the opportunity to get their input, their opinions, their intent. So a press of a button is a conviction. They're opening themselves up to us right now. I know I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. We kind of all know this as game developers, we may not all realize just how powerful this interactivity is when using this communication loop to leverage the player's emotions. So you see, up until the last decade or so, gaming has, has been in its conceptual phase, meaning game evolution of the past consisted of simple advancements like making a sprite look like a human or making a floor look like a floor. Essentially, advancements were about the technology itself, What can we do with New Hardware X that we we couldn't do before? So much like early film was centered around the gag as a primary means of entertainment, early games were primarily a test of, of skill. Most games revolved around a score or the notion of completion. It wasn't until somewhat recently that games began to focus on a more wider range of human emotions. So it's not a language we have a ton of experience in. Passive media has been around a lot longer than games. So film directors, musicians, painters, um, Rihanna, who gave a great talk on this, they all have a longer history of eliciting emotion from their audience. Yet many of us have roots in these other forms of entertainment. So it's natural for us to leverage that knowledge as we move to game development. But since those other forms of entertainment don't have the same interactivity as games, We often rely on non-interactive, linear time to draw emotions from our players. This is why games trying to tackle more complex emotions will often rely on sweeping cinematic scenes, for example. Now, film is often referred to as one of, if not the biggest influence on game development. And oftentimes when people dissect a film, they'll talk about the story The story in Avengers Endgame is about the snap heard around the world and the following events. But let me ask this question. What makes a good story? Is it is it really the event progression? You see, emotions are a fairly abstract concept, which are actually quite difficult to describe. If I were to say a particular film has emotions, you'd likely be confused by my statement unless I was talking about inside out here. The English language has no word to define a sequential set of emotions centered around events, at least none that I'm aware of. So when I talk about the word story from here on out, I'm referring to that set of emotions centered around events more so than the events themselves. Yet oftentimes when when people think of the word story, they'll often think of events. And rightfully so. If you look up the synopsis for the never ending story. It begins by describing events as on his way to school, Bastion ducks into the bookstore to avoid bullies, sneaking away with a book called The Never Ending Story. Bastion begins reading it in the school attic and it keeps going. But for those of you who've seen the film, you'll likely think of this scene. Or maybe this scene or this scene. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but um, this scene here had me bawling as a kid. And each of these scenes is about stirring emotion in the audience. And even though it's important for a story to provide a framework of events, the real guts of a story is your emotional reaction to those events. Right. And game development is really no different. Like when most developers mention the word story, it's usually in the context of describing events but with the added element of player communication. So in this scene here, some may say that the story is about a fallen ship, which drops off a devil walker to engage the player. I believe the story is about a sense of dread, the delivery of a threat, the anticipation of a great battle and eventual feeling of accomplishment or the frustration of defeat, if you're me. Um, But this is just one example of a a basic story in games. Um, Stories can actually take on lots of different forms. So at its most basic level, a game is really just a set of rules and an input venue for players to manipulate those rules, you know, board games, video game, sports, even um, a, a crossword puzzle in the Sunday paper. They're, they're all games. Now, traditionally stories haven't been told by the game itself, but are about the events which unfold during the game from the legend of Babe Ruth to Evo moment 37 to whatever's happening to that guy with the yellow ball up his nose. Stories, are, stories about, about games have traditionally been told by the micro decisions of its players, eventually being organized by storytellers into a sequence of events. Now let's take a deeper look at Evo Moment 37 here. What made this one of gaming's greatest esports moments? Was it Daigo's technical prowess on display, pairing all 15 hits of Chung lis super into a maximum damage combo to finish the round? Um, was it the fortitude to do it in a clutch moment under so much pressure? Well, yeah and no. And these are, are facts. It's certainly, they're undisputable, but the real reason it's such an incredible moment is because we as gamers can share in both of their feelings. We know what the exhilaration of hard-fought success feels like or how the shock of having something well-fought for taken from us. We have empathy for both players. We, we have an understanding of how insanely clutch such an outcome actually was. We even feed off the audience's reactions. These emotions are a shared social event that we're all part of. Now, given the rise of social media and streaming, many stories are are being made every day within the confines of Fortnite and other hot multiplayer games. And it's not just the events inside the games themselves catching our attention. It's the stories about the varied personalities of the streamers. The things that they say or do in and outside the games are our stories. When our favorite streamer suffers a horrible breakup and then you watch him crush his opponents in Fortnite, you're not just seeing him win. You're feeling his anguish because We've all been there, but not all games are built around the player's actions being the story. God of War, for example, is about Kratos, an anti-hero once guided by pure rage, now needing to move past that. So he may raise his son who knows nothing of his past. And it takes place in a world meant to make the player feel small. The events of the story are important to frame the context, but the real emotion from the story comes from our own lives. It comes from the moments we've experienced, which allows us to have empathy for Kratos and his son. That feeling of rage and how difficult it can be to control it. That sense of responsibility towards someone who depends on you. When when I had kids, it makes a big difference in your life. The shame we all feel for dumb things in our past and the the real genuine fear that people we love may judge us harshly for them. The last of us is about surviving the zombie apocalypse and shotgunning clickers. Isn't it? Well, at least on the surface, it is. I mean, it's really actually about puberty and the death of loved ones and family bonds and the dangers of having hope and seeing it crushed. It's about the moments when Ellie loses herself in rage and Joel tries to hold her close to remind her that she's not alone. Again, it's about us. We all know what it feels like to lose someone close to us. To, to feel hope and, and have it crushed, um, to turn to family in times of need. You know, The Last of Us reminds us how cold the wet air in the fall can actually feel or, or how majestic a giraffe can be up close. And Naughty Dog plays on our empathy and reminds us of our own humanity. <laughs> and even games that seem like they're made to embody the essence of fun can have an emotional component to them. Like Insomniac Spider-Man really makes you feel like you're Spider-Man. Sure, there are emotional moments and some weighty topics and even an unexpected death in the game. But what stands out to me here is just how much it felt like I was Spider-Man. That feeling of swinging through the city, of, of having lightning reflexes, of having great responsibility with his great power. <laughs> when I see a crime, I, I actually felt a bit torn between continuing the narrative and going off and saving the city. Insomniac did an amazing job of sparking my imagination. And they gave the fantasy enough sense of realism that I could immerse myself. And sometimes the world itself can touch our emotions just as much as a character can. Now, Red Dead 2's Wild West felt it felt real to me. Like their representation of everyday life is just astounding. Like when an old steam engine would go by, I just watch it. I'd pour over all the incredible items in, in one of the general stores and then walk out and accidentally shoot somebody when I tried to run, then run from the cop's rubber. And I mean, I'd, I'd watch the sun slowly set, wondering what the wisp of smoke in the distance could be. I'd practically feel the heat while standing in the sunshine in a field of wheat. Or feel the chill of the cold when Dutch's gang were holed up in the start of the game or smell campfire as I listened to some drunk fool sing before passing out. Not only because of the artistry of the game, which was amazing, but because of my own life experiences. And in our game Moss, Quill may be out to save her uncle Argus, but the emotional touchstone of the game is how she looks at you like you're the most important person in the room. How she'll react to moments of gameplay and share her feelings with you. How she'll show vulnerability by allowing you to pet her or show excitement by asking Asking you for a high five, or feel the adrenaline rush of a difficult battle, invented by kicking a dead snake—something you wish you could do in that moment. It's feeling a co-presence inside a VR world that feels alive. It's the same feeling you get from your everyday life, like it's that sense of familiarity, but the, in this fantasy setting. It's just like having you know your pet sit next to you um, when you were doing your homework in high school. Or, or when your friend was so excited about scoring her first dream job and she shared the news with you. So if story is just as much about the emotional takeaway as it is about the events framing the emotions, I'd like to ask, are the linear events always necessary? And if the answer to that is no, it seems they may not always be, then what type of content should we be authoring? to drive this emotional reaction in lieu of the standard linear narrative approach when long cinematics and expensive storytelling are not ideal. So to answer that, um, frame, some things here, that this industry has a wealth of varied perspectives and we each see the world from our own unique lens. So my approach to answer this question is an amalgamation of my experiences and, and my priorities. Uh, I'm lucky enough to see the world through the lens of animation. Uh, the definition of animation really says it all. Animation, a noun, the state of being full of life or vigor. The English, le- the English adjective an- animate, meaning alive, comes from the Latin verb animare, meaning to give life to. That's from the Webster's Dictionary. And it's important to drive this home. Animation is the art of bringing things to life. Now, being an animator is a constant reminder to dissect life, to consider not just the way a person walks, but how humanity has even evolved to a bipedal stance, how the walk being observed tells a story of that person. We observe which leg bears more weight and how the body behaves when shifting back and forth. We look for markers that may betray a person's thoughts or how confident does this walk even look? Who's the guy in the white pants? Are they sad, happy, scared, nervous? We look for variations in the steps that may denote a medical history. We wonder where they're going or where they've come from, and this this is just a walk. Although the observation of life primarily refers to living beings, this also applies to the world which supports life. Things like physics, where a walk can be described as a controlled fall governed by gravity and friction. We're aware of anthropomorphic projections of the inanimate. That car looks like it's smiling at me. We assign personality to simple things like the way a ball bounces or the way a sock looks like on our hands and how insanely hilarious it can be to us. Everything's alive and everything has a story. All of this observation comes from our life experiences. And even though we all see things in our own way, we all share Common life experiences. We all have birthdays and listen to music. We all know the taste of our favorite meal by heart. We all suffer through the common cold. We often get a whiff of a ghostly smell that reminds us of our childhood. We all pay taxes. We all have fingernails. Essentially, we all have a lot of common ground here, details which we may never even think about, but are acutely aware of on a social level. It's what made the Seinfeld show so incredible. And um, we all get that, that we all get angry and find humor and life's absurdities and and we can all relate. Yet our reactions to each of these things are unique to us. A child may love having their eighth birthday with all the cake, friends and presents while someone turning 98 may, may lament their youth and choose to get shit faced Our context and experience, they differentiate us all. Some things that have, um, That have shaped my life are my childhood time spent with my grandfather, uh, watching cars go by, waiting for the train to rumble through town. It was working in my high school job at Chicken Delight in Hillsdale, New Jersey. It was playing Street Fighter II in the back of a musty old comic book store called the Paperback Exchange in Pearl River, New York. It was seeing Toy Story for the first time as an impressionable SCAD student. That feeling I got when I shipped my first game or when my first child was born or my first date with my spouse, the excruciating sadness I felt when my sister died and the phone call I made to inform my mom. It was the paralyzing fear. I felt being up on stage at GDC for the first time and the the bronchitis I had my second time. It was joining a startup with friends and, and no income in those early days. It was hearing my daughter tell me about her unicorn yesterday. And each of these moments, I mean, it can be used now. The emotions I felt, the, the details that remain in my mind. Luckily, as an animator, I'd, I'd always take a moment and, and dissect how I'm feeling and, and acting. Eventually, essentially recording them, creating a library in my head of what can be best described as animation reference or life reference. And, and we're, we're all doing this every day. And when I was telling you some of my life ins, life's influences, you were very likely thinking of your own versions of those same events. That shared set of emotional emotions and experiences help us understand that we're not alone in this universe, that we're more likely there were more alike than we may actually believe. It's a form of emotional familiarity and a connection. And unlike this talk where you're so generously being patient with me right now and not interacting, there are two Games are a two way street for communication. We can and, and should be using this interactivity to connect with our players on this shared experience level. But given the nature of game development, it's really easy to lose sight of this. Remember what I told you earlier about that? What, what an animator may see in a walk? Well, unfortunately, when making a walk animation for our games, we often forget to use nearly all of that observation. We're so focused on the complexities of creating a game that such observations can take a backseat to practical game development. We're more focused on things like, does this follow the principles of animation? Is is it the correct speed for design? Does it loop properly? Does it blend in and out of all the possible states? How should I implement the difference between holding a rifle or a sword? Honestly, I can keep going here. The point is, there's already so much we need to know just to create a game. It's easy to get lost in the minutia. (laughs) But if we choose to be mindful of this and do our best to remain conscious of the bigger picture, not get distracted by the onslaught of competing needs, we may be able to maximize the effectiveness of this communication loop built around a shared set of experiences. But how exactly do we do this? (laughs) Well, for animators, it means making animations, not motions. Um, People who are not animators often believe it's our job to make stuff move. But that's like looking at the ocean and saying, it's water. A true statement, but a a simplistic glance at something vastly more complex. There's a huge difference between animating and creating motion. A character who moves isn't necessarily animating, and an animating character may not always be moving. A picture of a character walking, or a picture just imagine in your head, a character walking from point A to point B in your game. Now, of course, that character will be, will be playing a walk locomotion clip. But if you can see their soul, see who they are, watch them glance at objects around them. Watch them have emotional reactions to their situation. If you could see them thinking, then your character's animating. But if the character simply locomotes with, with a vacant look, they're not animating. They're just moving. Both examples meet the basic needs of a game, but only animation can reach the player on an emotional level. That means This means that uh, although the execution of the content is important, it's the idea behind the execution that actually matters most. And that idea should come from life experiences, from observing others in detail and recreating that detail, from the memory of what your face looked like in the mirror after running your first marathon, from considering the idea that, What you're creating is actually real. That library of reference in your head, it should be your guide. When, when your ideas are honest, meaning derived from genuine life experience, players will relate to your game on a more personal level, and they'll connect with it in ways that transcend the base mechanics and want to be enveloped in what feels familiar. Film is especially adept at this communication. They've got a lot of practice under their belts. In Toy Story 3, when, when Woody and crew were facing their demise, what made the scene so impactful wasn't only the fact that they were facing their own mortality. It was the way in which they chose to act. It was the subtle glances, the, the intros, introspective expressions, the, seeing the conflict about being grateful they're not facing it alone versus knowing each and every one of them may die. Every one of us could relate. I'm, I mean, not Not to the specific situation, but to the emotions that they're portraying. We're seeing the life experience of Pixar's staff, and we're drawn to the familiar. But game characters, they die all the time. The weight of that doom is dramatically less because of this. But it's also because the characters, they often don't react to their death. Death is primarily a gameplay reward system represented by an animation clip that communicates to the player a gameplay state change the character itself will often be ambivalent you don't see the life flashing before their eyes you don't often see the remorse from their allies or a celebration from their enemies it just it happens in most cases the gameplay is satisfied but genuine life experiences are absent and a shared emotional familiarity is actually missing And there's a lot of other gameplay systems I can say the exact same thing about. You know, firing a weapon, swinging a sword, opening a door, pressing a button. We're often so focused on communicating the gameplay information quickly, so we forget to have our characters communicate their reaction to it all using genuine human emotion. And, you know, I I thought a lot about this when animating Quill. In Moss, when, when Quill is accidentally run into the water by the player, she'll instantly sink to the bottom and perish. And this is because. Authoring a swimming navigation set would incur a cost and not fundamentally benefit our level layouts. Also, because seeing her splash around slowly, lose oxygen, and slowly fade away would take too much time and likely frustrate our players that want to get back to gameplay. So, how do we actually add emotional depth in this situation? Well, once Quill sinks to her demise, we cut the black for a few seconds. Enough time to let the player think about seeing Quill drown. We let the player stew in their mistake briefly. Then we forgive them for it moments later. Once the level reloads and she responds, she'll seem annoyed. She'll shake the water off and prepare to continue her adventure. We could have simply let her play her death animation and move on. But by adding her reaction to what looked like her drowning, acknowledges the player's mistake and forgives them for it. The player's actions have had an effect on Quill, and she's responding to those actions in a way unique to who she is. And the cost of this? It's the idea. And a few hours to make a shake-off animation. Now, Moss actually isn't alone in this effort, and there are a lot of games that have been doing this for a long time now. Seeing Joel trip and curse as he stumbles across something on the ground, alerting nearby tickers. Hearing Nathan Drake yell out, Marco! when the player navigates him into a pool. Seeing the anxious look on Trico's face when you throw a food barrel a little too far away. Seeing the sorrowful collapse of a Colossus you just cold-heartedly murdered. These aren't epic cinematic scenes. They're not branching narrative choices, not dialogue trees. They're reactions to player inputs. They tell a meaningful story in ways that resonate with players because of that interactivity and an honest character portrayal. So one last story here. Um, During development of Moss, uh, one of our engineers, Chad, wanted to implement a memory system for Quill. Um, she'd, She'd keep a tally of specific actions the player would make, things like number of deaths in a single room. The idea was that we could use that data to alter her reactions to player choices as the game progressed and capture all vast amounts of data that we can hopefully use later. A brilliant idea we we really never had the time to support with content, except on one occasion. Chad and I made it so when Quill died numerous times in a single room, on her fourth respawn, she'd play this animation. One night, our creative director Danny managed to trigger it. He got got pissed at her, like full-on negative reaction pissed at this fictional character. He came in the next day and told me that he and Quill got into a fight that she was mad at him for killing her and and he felt chastised we actually took that response out because we didn't want quill making her players feel bad but the fact that danny even felt chastised that his mistakes and her calling him out on it could elicit such an emotional response means that the interactivity itself is an incredibly powerful tool my dog is going nuts upstairs <laughs> He hears a truck outside. Anyway, it's because we're including the player's actions in our story that allowed him to feel that way. So by adding honest reactions to gameplay inputs, referencing shared emotional experiences, we're building a better communication loop. At least that's how I see it from my perspective.
2: back to you guys so i obviously would never trigger that animation but i mean clearly one of us at this table (laughs) i I actually i love that you guys would think about that and like kind of bouncing back to a previous talk we were having earlier is like the fact that people are pushing the medium and exploring different things that you could be doing the fact that you guys are looking into the depths of this game to say like, hey, where can we pull a little bit more emotion or create a a better experience than just a normal video game? And like kind of breaking that fourth wall where she's even responding to what you're doing. Like, yo, you're going to kill me again? Same strategy? We're not going to try anything new? You know, like I, to attempt that and to think to put that in, regardless of it getting a negative interaction, like that's exactly the pioneering that I love seeing in the game industry and in game development today. Like taking those risks and doing unique things, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well I'm, I'm,
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I didn't really ask your a question, so it's fair enough.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's worth noting, right? Because we actually uh, we kind of broke into your your talk right away, right? Yeah. So it's best kind of know a little bit of your background. So, Richard, you, you worked in the AAA industry for a long time. You were a bunch of 10 plus years before you went to uh, work at Polyart So, yeah. you have a good mix of realistic and stylistic uh, games under your belt. Big scope, small scope. Yes. And so the differences there, animating for those two different styles, do you still feel like a lot of that, of course, stems from life experiences, but how how far do you push and pull when you're uh, designing for those two different type of games?
0: Well, I I don't consider those types of games all that different. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you actually look at, at Destiny, there's a lot of moments where you can connect with players. Like, let's say you've got a a good kill in in PVP, and then we've got this emote system that we put out there. And then we've got, like, the perfect emote to essentially communicate how you feel about that kill, whether it be some version of teabagging or some dancing or something. Like, that's actually telling a a small story and and communicating player intent and, and delivering a sense of emotion. Um, to players a lot of times in that situation, it can be a negative one, but whatever. But, um, there's also uh, like the, the telling of the traditional narrative. Um, and it's, it's something that, um, like we focused a lot on when we were making halo, you know, trying to really make the chief feel, um, like a character you could connect with, but also some reverent hero and trying to find a nice middle ground for those moments. Um, and even some of the games of my past working on the condemned series. Um, yeah, we were trying to scare the hell out of you. And that was an important aspect of the game, but what made it scary wasn't like, "boo." it was, yeah. it was more the, like the, the, the psychological horror. Like there was a moment where, and I had nothing to do with this, but I thought our designers were fucking brilliant with this. So, um, where you were walking down this hallway and then some mannequins would appear behind you and you'd turn and look, and you'd see the mannequin and then you'd turn back around and then there would be another one in front of you. And then you turn back around again. And now there's like four of them behind you. Oh. And they didn't do anything kind of like just a hallucina- hallucination, but, oh, it really affected people. Yeah. And it was the psychological horror. It was, it was connecting with people's emotions. It wasn't just, you know, the story of blood dripping down a wall or something. Yeah, and you only get
2: so many jump scares uh, jump scares
0: anyway so like
2: clearly you can't use that as your primary yeah. vehicle but any movie you've seen any and I'm not going to give you a class on horror but I just love that like If I show that there's a threat, you can hear the threat. You can smell the threat. You can almost feel it, Mm -hmm. but it's just not attacking you or not with you yet. Mm -hmm. Like prolonging that period of time is like Mm -hmm. my favorite part about any sort of scary experience. It's like, oh my God, when? I like, I know it's coming. I know, but when? And like, please just tell me, oh my, oh, you got me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's. That's, that's my go-to at least when i'm doing horror stuff is i try to just i just i just prolong it as long as possible until you're almost like pissed off that i've done it and then i mm-hmm. smack you with it real quick yeah and uh um, you no end up whatsoever
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean richard obviously we, we've been having you on the podcast a few times we have actually a lot of new viewers here who, who are barely getting to know us so uh so we probably covered this question before, but at least it's worth yeah, noting right. again, uh, you, you went from a pretty nice stability before jumping on to work with a passion project, essentially. right? With a, a team full of uh, like-minded colleagues at a pretty later in your career, right? which is probably the scariest time to do it. Uh, Can you kind of walk us through that a little bit um, of that decision making of of finally doing this? Because I think for all game developers out there, especially ones that have been in the industry for so long, veterans always want to make this jump, but have a thousand reasons why they don't. Right. And that often kills their desire to even do so. So uh, if you mind kind of sharing your own experience in that, I think that will be very helpful and insightful.
0: Sure. Um, Well, I was, uh, I was at Bungie. It was, I had just hit my eight year mark and um, shortly before that, you know, some close friends of mine that I was working with there um, left to go form their own studio. Um, And, you know, I I really enjoyed working with these guys, consider them, you know, exceedingly talented. Um, So when I was hitting my eight year mark at Bungie and um, working on Destiny, Um, I was having a good time. I was enjoying myself. The studio was, uh, they treat us very well. Um, my coworkers were amazing, so I wasn't uh, unhappy, but I also didn't feel like I was growing anymore as an artist. I was, um, doing, um, I was essentially animation lead for the player side and helping out on combatants and cinematics, but it, it had been that for a long time. And, um, growing in the studio meant, um, leaving animation behind and taking on more management and and more um um, meetings so it was either continue to do what i was doing or stop doing what i love doing and i didn't see either option as being reasonable so um when those guys left and they're starting their own studio you know we kept talking they're like you want to join us so you know i took a look at my bank account first and um, the real decision, <laughs> I wanted to see if I could afford that. <laughs> and then um, had a, had a very uh, heart to heart talk with my spouse about what that meant, and we decided that um, that it was worth it because uh, we didn't, it came down to not wanting to have that question in my head of what if, like, what if I would have done it, you know, like, I, I, I wanted to answer that question because I knew that. If it didn't work out, you know, as long as I don't burn a bridge with Bungie, who was amazing, I can always go back or maybe find something else. Who knows? But, um, I didn't want to miss that chance. So when I joined, even though I wasn't for the first three or so months, we weren't earning an income. There was no income. Um, I was enjoying the hell out of it because it was the creative freedom. I got to make all the decisions I got to, um, do whatever I wanted. And it was just a select few of us with our own necks on the line. So, um, I got to be mad at my mistakes and my mistakes only, which was awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: The one thing I've noticed, and I'm pretty fresh on this, uh, indie landscape. Like I just finally quit my job weeks ago. Um, It's a how time flies, which is the opposite problem I was fighting before, which is really weird. Like I never, it's like before I I finished answering emails and all that stuff, it's already like three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, is this something that you have to? yeah so much going on so many things and you're so excited about all the things you plan on doing the week and you just end up seeing the day just fly by super quick was there like a crazy adjustment period for you while you were doing this while you were uh jumping on
0: oh yeah it's uh um well it's been it's been what like three it's been over three years and i'm still adjusting really um (laughs) it's uh it's it's once you're in charge of your own schedule and you're in charge of what you need to do and you see the mountain of work that you have to get done, it's, it's just, it's shocking. Like you don't have somebody coming in and saying, we need this. It's more of like, you're just looking at it and like, Oh my God, if I don't do it, it won't get done. And it hits me every day.
2: Yeah. Well, what would you say? And I, again, not talking to Brandon myself, because we're experienced with the jump where they're with you. Uh, people who are on the edge, you know, like, people who want to do it, but are second guessing, you know, and you kind of earlier said like, I didn't want to know what if, right? Like, is there, if you were talking to 10 people who were like, yeah, but what if, you know, mm. if you were talking to 10 of those people on the edge of the diving board looking into potential prosperity or potential financial ruin, you know, do you have now that you've like gone through it yourself, you have a successful product yeah.
1: you've to, to everyone think, that's watching that's yeah, on edge right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Is there uh, anything that you could say like just as a quick word of encouragement before we get back to like the in-depth questions about your career processes? Uh, what could you say to the people who are like might be on the edge, tippy toes, very edge of the water, but hands still like this? Oh man. All right.
0: It's not easy decision. So like mm-hmm. if you're on that edge, like I, you have my empathy, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, it, it's really difficult. Um, um, consider a few things first, really be honest with yourself about the opportunity because, you know, and, and why you're considering it. Cause the, if you find out that your reason for considering it, maybe may not be the best reasons like maybe you might have some conflict at work and you can just clear that up and everything else will be happy like maybe consider not doing it but like if you are really sure about your reasons for doing it and you understand you're doing it um, for your own you know self-fulfillment and you understand um, the ramifications of the decision and you also understand Um, who you'll be going into business with or what type of scenario you're putting yourself in. And you're also being realistic about that. um, Then make the jump. But the, the, the key is like really asking yourself the hard questions really don't play around with, you know, like surface level decision-making, like dig deep on asking like the tough questions of yourself. Like, you know, am, am I going to regret not doing this? when I'm, you know, retired, am I going to look back on this? And am I going to say, yeah, I'm glad I stayed or yeah, I'm glad I jumped. Um, like really consider the holistic view. Like, are you in your situation now? Are you like, does life feel stale? Um, are you not growing? And will this be the solution to that problem or the only solution to that problem? Is there another solution to that problem, which means you don't go broke? Like, You've got to consider so many of those options. Um, Also bring in loved ones, find out um, what, you know, people who you care about your family, what they think of your situation and take what they have to say to heart, because they might see something that you don't see.
1: What if you don't want to hear it anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Because this is a real conversation. So we talk to people on the edge who are game developers who always wants to make this jump, right? Uh, to, To work with colleagues and friends to accomplish and make a game that they want to make. But the other conversation is, of course, if you're a family man. woman uh you have to turn to your spouse and kids and basically say we're not gonna be eating out as much and do as many things as before because but the good thing is the good thing is i'm gonna be home a lot (laughs) Yeah, i mean that is a very tricky type of situation that i never really thought about until it happened Um, like how, how was that type of adjustment? Because I I imagine when you talk to spouse, even if you have an understanding spouse, the meter is usually you're on the yes and they're on the knowing or kind of compromise, right? That's the, that's where you're trying to meet.
0: Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I think in my situation, yeah, my spouse was, was really like, she was right on the fence with me. So she wasn't the firm. No, don't do it. Um, okay. which is amazing. Like mm. I, I found a, a great for wife. Her, yeah. Um, Keeper. yeah uh, so with her, it was really just a very pragmatic discussion, which I think made things a lot easier to, to work through some hard topics. Um, but the, the thing about my kids, that's, that was the hardest part for me because I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want to be like, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. Um, you can't go to college. Daddy made a, a shitty decision. <laughs> like yeah. that, that's not the, the type of message I want to send them. So, so, uh, you know, I had to make sure that, you know, like in my son's case, cause my son's about to go to college, he's up the age. I had enough put away for him that, you know, with some scholarships and a little bit of financial aid, he can go to college, but I've got it primarily covered. Right. Absolutely. And then my, my girls are young enough to where I don't have to worry about that for another 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know. The timing was important because, you know, my son's covered, but can I, you know, if this is a mistake, can I recover in time to build up a college fund for them? Okay. But I, I also didn't want to send the message to them that um, you capitulate, you know, like I wanted them to see that that daddy was willing to take some risks for his dream and that daddy was willing to work his, his ass off to make it happen. And like, it, it's a good parenting technique too. Mm. Um, Cause if they would have saw me just stay comfortable at my job for the money, I mean, yeah, that's certainly the responsible thing to do in a lot of cases. And I think there's nothing wrong with that decision. And if I would have made it, it probably would have been a, just an equally good decision, but a completely different lesson. And I think that, you know, the lesson I grew up with was don't do the risky things, but the lesson I want to teach my kids is more of the, evaluate the risky thing and really make sure it's it's okay. And then don't be afraid of it. Right.
1: I think (laughs) that is very in line with what we do as creatives. I think we're very risk averse and we like that to kind of fuel our creativity. Right. I think once we get too comfortable, we get bored very easily naturally as creatives. And um, even if we have a stable job, even though, you know, It is, like, somewhat exciting, right? If it's not all the way to the max... Um, it's hard for, for anybody to kind of stay and justify. It's like, you know, I only have like about 20 good years left. Do I really want to continue oh. this? That, you know, I oh. do really well. <laughs> I know what it's like, yeah. but I want to see what's on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, second kid, you're not going to college, maybe. <laughs> but you're, yeah. yeah. You're putting it all on the table. And, <laughs> it's like, but, but, but daddy. Seven or nothing. <laughs> we. But daddy has some life decisions right now yeah, yeah. that might affect you. But it's true. I think if anything, what we've learned, at least through the podcast and every business ventures we've had ever since moving away from AAA uh, or even juggling AAA at the same time, is that like the opportunities that open up that we didn't even know was there. Uh, has been so ex- much exciting, uh, and, and, and we, we've learned so much from that in the same span of time that we spent in our career in our cozy job, which is something that I think a lot of developers out there don't realize. Where, um, if they're sitting behind the desk and they're earning a good living and their game is somewhat you know, exciting. Mm-hmm. that, that that there's a whole world for game developers out there that's opening up yeah. that they're closing themselves up to.
2: I and I will just jump in real quick. I think that if you can afford to be comfortable in your job and you like just having your responsibilities, like you've got stuff on the side, you yeah. get 401k and it's like, you know what I like, I go to work, I do X, Y, and Z and I go home. I have and time have with my, my family thing, and kids. Yeah. Cool. Like that works for you. I just would say if you are not well off enough that you can afford to be comfortable in that way, you should keep your feelers out there and looking for things that you can do to multitask, maximize or leverage yourself in a way to get more resources or to do something on the side. That just makes it a little easier in the event that your comfort gets taken
1: from you right.
2: because the necktie decides that your your department's not necessary yes. anymore. Yes.
1: It is an outwill employment. I mean, yeah. that's the thing that is... <laughs> The first contract that you signed. And it's supposedly to protect. They you, fire you before the angels drive. But it's true. It's like just like any job, there is risk. And uh even if you do go in, there's a huge amount of risk with that, right? Obviously, as Richard has talked about. You're you're pretty much out there on your own. But the cool thing about that that I think pushes you to really have your uh armor slowly being built is that you are a hundred percent in control. Of your failures and successes, I feel like that is a lot more true when you're just out there um, doing your thing.
2: Well, we have a. Yeah, it's been, oh, oops, sorry. It's a nice
0: risk. Sorry, go ahead.
2: I think yeah. I got a question from the Twitch audience. I'd like to ask, and um, Mr. Pure Evil comes back again. I actually don't know the sex/gender, so I'm, actually, I'm not going to assume. Okay. So I'll just say, Pure Evil. Question is, you talked a lot about animation supporting player interaction. How would you integrate UI into that same process of telling the story as it seems inherently unimmersive element in games?
0: Oh, you gotta ask a UI guy that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: you you turn ui off that's the answer (laughs) so it doesn't get away of my animation click down (laughs) click down turn off oh that's funny but it's true uh i think a lot of viewers out there get confused with a lot of uh, disciplines being crossover which is actually a good lead up to my next question it's like how much uh other things you have to do besides animating now because I'm assuming oh, God, how many hats do you at
0: right least?
1: Now? <laughs> yeah.
0: What are you talking about? I don't <laughs> know. Uh, how many hats? Um, yeah, no, I, I do rigging now, which which um, I'm learning a lot, and I learned how much I didn't actually know when I started this. Um, <laughs> I'm doing uh, a lot of the in-game setup now. I'm learning a lot of blueprint in Unreal. Um, I I did some modeling for Moss, like I modeled the the deer and a bunch of the bugs, um, at least the first pass on the deer, um, trying to learn some texture mapping and all that kind of stuff inside of unreal. Um, I'm still not good at that at all. Um, my plan is to do some effects and some, uh, um, scripting in, in unreal next it's, it's awesome. Like I love every minute of it all.
2: So clearly your next step is your own company, one-man band, because <laughs> you said everything pretty much. You got blueprint, you got rigging. I don't think I heard sound design, so you still might need to work with a sound designer. Yeah. Although
0: I mean, I'm triggering it, animations, off of triggering animations.
2: The more I talk, the more I start to discover what your next steps are. I love that <laughs> conversation.
1: It's like, can you do this for me? So like, you trigger your own animation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just go ahead and it off. Oh,
2: man. Yeah. Well, Rich, uh, we've had you on the podcast. Now we've officially had you on G Ducks. Thank you so much for setting aside some time to help us do this. Uh, we really appreciate you being here, man, and supporting what we do. You know we always support you and what you do. So I definitely want to tell the audience, like, just go check out their game. Go check out their company. Uh, I don't want to brag for you. If you want to take a minute or two to brag on your own behalf, uh, how people can follow you, what they can look forward to coming from you before we transition and say goodbye, good sir.
0: Ah, okay. Um, well, uh, you follow me on Twitter at Foofnew, uh, or you can follow the uh, Polyarc Twitter account, which usually broadcasts way more than I do at, uh, Polyarc games. Um, and if you, uh, if you guys have a uh, Oculus quest or any other VR headsets, um, we recently released an update to Moss called Twilight garden. Um, and that's for Oculus quest right now. And then we'll be out on all other headsets in June. Um, Some of the new things we're doing is uh, we've got a a Toad character in there that actually interacts with you on an emotional level, so it's a very relevant character to this talk that I just gave. And then um, I did a whole new uh, revision of the combat set for Quill. So she's got a new weapon and a completely revamped old weapon set. So give it a try. Have some fun. Uh, I wish we would have put some more enemies in there, but eh, maybe in the future.
2: All right. Oh, Mr. I thank you for your time. Um,
0: Brandon's call oh, thank you guys it's, it's it's a real pleasure being here with you guys and thanks for having me out on your inaugural debut here it's it's really an honor to be a part of this man the honor's all
2: ours trust really? me <laughs> you. your life is great we're like hey can we convince enough people to try this with us <laughs> so we appreciate you taking that <laughs> risk toes on the edge of the diving board you dove in and we got G-Ducks so honestly man seriously enough mutual respect bromance stuff we really appreciate you man All right, thanks guys. Appreciate
0: you too. Enjoy the rest of it.